Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. So, JG and Kat, I'm hearing in my ear that for episode 51, um, the JG is going first today. <laughs> That's right. The uh, the floor director passed that on to you. I don't know if it's because it's really your turn or if Kat just thought, screw this, somebody start. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem we often have with, with this yeah. podcast. You and I, we, we get on the Zooms and uh, we just start talking. Yammering. It yeah. should take 45 minutes to record, but mm-hmm. instead it's like an hour and a half <laughs> yeah. later and I'm like, are you done yeah. yet? <laughs> yeah. It's That's why way. I'm sitting in more lately. Yeah. You know, please. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay's mom used to say the same thing at the dinner table. She, you two shut up and eat. And uh, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> she had the right attitude. Yeah. And then we'd go out in the backyard with flashlights. Remember that? And, uh, yeah. and we would try to find aliens in the desert. Never, never found any aliens, but that didn't keep us from trying. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> you would think being that close to Roswell, mm. that Tucson would be crawling with flying saucer debris. But nope, at least not that we found. We looked hard too. Yeah, we really did. Uh, a lot of cacti. Found a lot of cacti. Mm-hmm. I do. I know this is going against what I was just complaining about, but I did want to ask you. Do you remember when you were on the podcast with Mike Rowe and you told the sure. story about Schneebly Station? Yeah. I would love to hear yeah. that sometime. And it doesn't yeah. have to be right now. I know we're just getting into the podcast, but if you if you would share that sometime yeah. with us, I think that would be great. That's a that's a great story. I could give you a reader's digest version right now. Okay. For people who don't don't know the backstory. I right. love it, yes. My great grandfather, T. C. Schneebly, moved from Gorin, Missouri with his young bride, and they settled in uh, Oak Creek Canyon which is in northern Arizona. This was in the late 1800s, and they built what we would now call a bed and breakfast. And people started staying there longer and longer and longer, and they finally realized, hey, if we could get a post office at this bed and breakfast, people could stay even longer. Mm -hmm. They could get their mail sent here, and we'd be making more money. And so he applied for a post office, cancellation stamp and sent it off and he had requested Schneebly station on the cancellation stamp 
post office writes back and says, sorry, that's too long. It doesn't fit. (laughs) So the story goes that he turns to his wife and says, how would you like a post office named after you? And she thought, oh, that's funny, TC. You're not going to name a post office after me. So he writes her name down, sends it into the post office. And uh, I guess a few weeks later, hears back. Yes, you now have a post office named Sedona. Sedona, Arizona. Oh, my God. Sedona, Arizona is named after my great grandmother. That is a fantastic story. And Sedona is a, a real destination point for tourism these days. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. I'm sure people have seen the photos of the Red Rock. And yeah, it's uh, it's just unlike any place else uh, on Earth. What an incredible really, really family history that special. is. Yeah. And Sedona yeah. also has a reputation for being kind of like a, a new agey destination for people too. Uh, the harmonic convergence was held there yeah, the, one year, I remember. The, and and people talk, they talk about the vortex. Yeah, the vortex and how yeah. gravity doesn't work the same way there. <laughs> we should have been looking for UFO debris in Sedona, my friend. We should have just gotten in the car. Sure, we couldn't drive yet. No, but we were 12. We were too young to to ride our bikes to, to Sedona. <laughs> no, that would have been a great story. <laughs> I got a bike and a flashlight and a sack lunch and I'm going to Sedona, yep, damn it. Yep. It's only going to take me eight days to ride. <laughs> Can you imagine riding your bike up the hill north of Phoenix uh, into the canyon no, area? That would be impossible. I did a ride one time from Tucson to Phoenix on, on a weekend. It was a fundraiser for, I think it was the March of Dimes. And uh, that was 60 miles a day. And that, yeah. that damn wow. near killed me. I can't imagine. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. way more enthusiastic. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. that. I love <laughs> well, that thank you for so asking, much. Kat. And I just, I, I adore that you have that family history. I know like, like my mom's dad, I think his name was Larry. So <laughs> there you go. That's worth something, right? So the fact that you have this family history is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, maybe it'll bring some extra listeners. Hey, maybe. You never know. know. Hashtag Sedona. In a daring escapade that seems ripped straight from the silver screen, a guy named Clint Butler. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Clint Butler. You you said Clint. (laughs) (laughs) A notorious 36-year-old British criminal made a bid for freedom. Yeah, it's a a prison break story, Linz. Oh, I loves me a prison break story. Why he elected to break out of prison after serving 14 years of a 17-year <gasps> sentence is beyond me. No. Oh, dude, really? He was almost done. He was just three years away. Yeah, and he decided anyway. Did he sneak out and buy beer and sneak back in? It's, it's similar, but no, that, that, was a, that was a great story you had. But this has a bizarre twist in it as well. It was due to an unexpected addiction that Butler had uh, that ultimately led to his... Capture. An unexpected addiction. Butler's criminal okay. journey began years ago with uh, his first brush with the law at a very young age. Uh, as he entered his late teens, he became increasingly embroiled in a life of crime. A string of Interesting. petty thefts and minor offenses soon escalated into more serious and violent criminal activities. It's off in the way, I guess. But in 2006, after years of evading capture, Butler's luck ran out. He was apprehended following a botched robbery that resulted in his arrest. Now, the evidence against him was overwhelming, 
and he was swiftly convicted on multiple charges leading to that 17-year sentence for robbery and weapons possession. This was a violent guy. Sounds like. Sentenced to 17 years behind bars, Butler's name kind of, it faded from the headlines. He languished there in prison for a number of years, but then... In an act that just blew everybody's mind, he decides to break out after serving 14 years of his sentence. Mm. And as the dust settled and details started to emerge, um, there were all kinds of rumors about how he did it. Uh, Insider assistance was suggested. Um, He had a a meticulous plan, but the specifics remained somewhat elusive even though it was clear that he had this determination, unwavering determination that uh, allowed him to outsmart even the most stringent, uh, stringent security measures. Now, I'm wondering if the fact that he had been there 14 out of 17 years, they just uh, prison officials thought, yeah, he's he's cool. He's good to go. We, we don't, we don't we, have to worry. We don't have to worry guy. about Clint. We'll, we'll just c- kind of. <laughs> Keep an eye on him, but he's fine. Yeah. What's he going to do? Escape with only three years left on his sentence? What a dummy. That would never happen. Now, (laughs) this prison was a fortress, yet somehow he managed to exploit its vulnerabilities and uh, get away. And what year was this, JG? This was November of 2020. Not long ago. Okay. So recent, recent. Okay. All right. Even though we don't have all the precise details, it's clear that he he took advantage of weaknesses and lapses in the security measures and his ability to exploit those opportunities is what got him out. So he he paid close attention. He was not a I hate to say it. He was not stupid. He was able to uh, pay attention and witness uh, any types of lapses that they had in their security measures and exploit that when they weren't paying attention. Yet. It's interesting to me how many of these stories that we do are about really, really stupid people. And then there are things like this where you find somebody who has a, a fierce, uh, keen intelligence, but they just make a really stupid decision. Yeah. Or they're just using you know? that abilities uh, in the wrong way. Right, right. Well, it's like uh, Ted Bundy, right? Ted Bundy made friends with the guards and yep. was working in the library and was like, oh, no, don't worry about me. Yeah. JK to the woods. Yep. I, yeah. He jumps out the courthouse window. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I'm wondering if it was something like that. The aftermath of Butler's escape was marked by a massive manhunt. Law enforcement agencies, uh, well, they, they mobilized pretty quickly. They don't like it when you escape from their prisons. No. No, they take it as an offense. They do. So they scramble to recapture this guy, and his disappearance kept the public on edge because he was a violent dude. Uh, Media outlets reported on every lead and every potential breakthrough, but months went by. Really? And he was not seen, and he virtually disappeared. Now, that's fascinating because... It's uh, yeah. Well, okay. I know. I'll let you finish your story. (laughs) What a novel idea. Well, authorities were baffled because he it it seemed like he vanished into thin air and uh, they they canvassed the countryside. Had he fled the country? How did he avoid this? How did he avoid capture for so long? Was he just maybe hiding in the shadows or somewhere in plain sight? And as I said, months went by. Butler managed to evade recapture. 
He was on the lam, which is a phrase I never really understood. I love it, though. I do, too, but I'd never stop to think where it, uh, where it came from. If you know, you can send us an email. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Nice. Thanks. So he's on the lam, and uh, this is from, he breaks out in early November of 2020. Now it's mid-January of 2021. And this was in the throes of the COVID lockdown in this area. He was in Birmingham in the UK. That probably actually, thinking about it, made it easier for him to, uh, to avoid being captured. Yeah, that would make sense. Not a lot of people out, uh, not a lot of uh, law enforcement. But after laying low all of this time, he starts to get bored. It's been several months now. <laughs> okay. And he's still in this town of Birmingham, although law enforcement did not know it. And his fate takes an unexpected turn when his downfall came from an unexpected source, his addiction to video games. Really? Yep. See, huh. see what happened is he's he's holed up someplace. He hasn't gone out for a couple of months and he's free for the first time in 14 years or relatively free. And uh, he hears on the news that the latest Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War game is uh, <laughs> is being released. And so he thinks I got to get me one of those. Sure. So. He starts plotting. His excitement grew in anticipation of the release date. He could feel it was palpable. He could not resist the allure of being one of the first people to experience the virtual battlefield. So... Oh, Clint. Butler, driven by his desire for the game, he threw caution to the wind and ventured out of hiding to seize what he believed to be the next big thing in gaming. It was January 13th in Birmingham, and Butler and a buddy of his resurfaced to go buy a new copy of the latest Call of Duty. Now, again, this he was smart enough to break out of jail, but not smart enough to figure out it might be safer to just download it. You know, I don't have to go outside. Yeah. He's clever enough to break out, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe his uh, PlayStation store was out of credits or something or or you know couldn't he just say to his buddy hey it's probably smarter if i if i stay in yeah you know yeah here's here's 40 bucks would you uh <laughs> would you mind picking this up yeah for just me? run down to the uh, best buy if you would and yeah. and, and grab yeah. me a copy yeah no he goes with him and he brings a bag of weed <laughs> They got to celebrate their purchase. So so they're in their car and they're on their way to a store and they come to an intersection and they see parked straight ahead a police vehicle with an officer inside. Mm -hmm. So they just did a three point turn and went the opposite way. And the the police officer thought that was unusual. Mm. And so he followed them and pulled them over. And he asks why they were in town during the lockdown. They weren't supposed to be out. And his his companion said, quote, the new Call of Duty is out and we can't sit around and and I can't stand lockdown anymore. Is that that's my dumb guy behind the wheel? Dumb guy behind the wheel. uh, Accompanying. Wow. Accompanying. I can't say that word. Accompanying. Tagging along with. (laughs) (laughs) Assisting a fugitive carrying weed. Um, So, but Butler, you know, to his credit, he very quickly admitted, yeah, you know what? I got some weed here. He offered that advice or that information to them. He did give them a false name, though. They asked him what his name was and he made something up. But he said, I got weed, though. (laughs) 
<laughs> don't understand. I don't either. The officers told them that they were uh, they were going to take their information and run it. And that's when Butler thought his best option would be to leap from the vehicle and attack the police officer. Oh, no. Oh, my God. By throwing punches and kicking him. Dear Lord. However, he was swiftly apprehended, effectively ending his fugitive status and bringing him back into custody. He was taken into custody and escorted from the scene. Um, the irony was not lost on the public when the news uh, released this information. They they marveled at the twist of fate that led to Butler's capture. His addiction, which had once provided an escape from reality, now became the very reason he was thrust back into it. Isn't that crazy? The capture of Clint Butler not only brought an end to this period uh, of his period on the run, but also people were really relieved in the community because he was he was a violent dude. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. West Midlands Police Superintendent Nick Rose said, quote, this was great work by our officers acting on instinct that there was something not quite right when challenging the man. The situation quickly escalated, but both PCs put their training to good use by restraining Butler, subduing him and getting him safely in handcuffs while also calling for backup from other officers. Mr. Butler was safely tucked back into prison where he sits today having his video game privileges taken away. <gasps> oh. Yeah. That's cold. My source information, Crime Chronicles, Clint Butler's Great Escape, A Gaming Folly, <laughs> and also the New York Post. Give it up for the Post. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on in a guy's mind? Where he's like, yeah, I got three years to go. Let me break out. Yeah. You know, he breaks out during the uh, pandemic lockdown, which is ironic. And then it's like, yeah, I'm just going to go. I'm, I'm going to get my bag of weed and go buy a video game. I'm going to actually stop and make sure that I've got the weed with me. Sure. When I venture out. In fact, maybe I'll smoke a couple of dank fatties so I'll get the smell all over me <laughs> before I go. And then I'll just toss the bag up on the dashboard. So he can yeah. see it. Wouldn't Dank Fatty be a great radio name? <laughs> Good morning, Dank Fatty with you. <laughs> 26 on the backside. <laughs> with traffic on the eights. <laughs> and now another golden goodie from the groovy graveyard. <laughs> Stacks of wax and platters the oh. battle. <laughs> okay. I think we're angering That's Cat enough. now. All right, yeah. we'll, we'll be quiet. <laughs> well, that was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. 
Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Are you overwhelmed by the household chores you should be doing to get ready for summer, but you just don't have the time? Introducing the Sleepless Pillow. That's right, the Sleepless Pillow will keep you up all night. Say goodbye to those pesky dreams and good night's sleep. Turn nighttime into work time. Organize those closets. Clean that patio furniture. Give the dog a bath. All before sunrise. And to make sure you're awakened in the night, the Sleepless Pillow also comes with a built-in alarm clock that randomly goes off throughout the night, ensuring more time to tackle those pesky chores before that coffee maker bruise your first cup. The Sleepless Pillow may cause severe sleep deprivation, irritability, and extreme fatigue. Use at your own risk. The Sleepless Pillow. Get yours today and start getting things done. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com for your story ideas, your observations. Recipes. Uh, recipes. <laughs> we always love a good recipe mm. from listeners. This is from a woman named Madison. She says, first of all, thank you for bringing some joy into my morning commute. I often find myself laughing out loud on the subway, which now that I'm thinking about it, I probably look insane because I'm, I have AirPods in, which you can't see, and my phone is usually in my purse. So to other people on the train, it looks like I'm staring at the stupid subway ads on the wall and bursting out in laughter. Anyway, I wanted to share a swim that I had in the shallow end recently. I was shopping a while back at a large department store that had mirrors everywhere. Seriously, it was like a freaking funhouse in there. As I was wandering around, I turned a corner and I realized I'm lost. There are so many mirrors that I can't figure out where the exit no. is anymore. Everything's just reflecting off other mirrors, which made the store look endless, like it was infinite. <laughs> At this point, I'm getting stress out, stressed out and I just want to leave, but I can't. As I'm frustratingly and desperately searching for the exit, I turn the corner again and a woman bumps into me. Now I'm really pissed because I've just spilled coffee all over my shirt. So I look up and say, excuse you in a rather condescending tone. <laughs> it's now that I realize I've bumped into my own reflection. <laughs> I walked into a mirror as though my reflection was some annoying person who was not looking where she was going. It turned out to be me. Thank you guys again for all the stories and feel free to share this number on the pod. Much love, Madison. Madison. Thank you, Madison. Wow. God bless you for sending that story and owning what, that. That's priceless. What a wonderful story that is. Love it. I love it. I just love the excuse you in a rather <laughs> condescending tone. <laughs> <laughs> Lessons we all learn, I guess. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Please send, Please send us send more us like that. Stories. Yeah. yeah. 
We applaud people who walk into mirrors and own it. (laughs) Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, part of the Area of Media Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. You're in the shallow end with Schnapply and Toth. This was actually uh, a listener named Nicholas suggested this story a while back. And uh, for whatever reason, I didn't dive into it. But I was actually I was going to I woke up this morning with a with a full written script of a different story completely. And then I sat down at the computer with coffee and I looked again at this story and I thought, you know, this is you got to do this. <laughs> this is this is just priceless. I've always been fascinated. I'm sure you guys are, too, by the confidence that fraudsters have in themselves. Mm. Well, that's where the word con man comes from. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and just like your story, JG, about uh, about this guy you know, 14 years into a 17 year sentence thinking, no, I got this. I can make this happen. Fine. Well, this is a shallow end story about a guy who nearly succeeded in pulling off one of the largest land swindles in American history. Oh. How's that? Huh? Most sensational uh, fraudulent claims ever perpetrated by a guy from Missouri named James Addison Revis. Hmm. And this is the shallow end story of the, quote, Peralta land grant scheme. Ooh. How's that for a I name? love it. So James Rivas is born in Missouri in 1843. And when the Civil War breaks out, he joined a Confederate unit, but he soon got homesick. So he just started writing his own military passes, forging his <laughs> commanding officer's signature. <laughs> And he was getting away with wow. it. Wow. So soon he was actually on leave more than he was on duty. He would think, oh, I want to go home. So he'd write himself a pass <laughs> and present it and go home and then come back. And finally, he thought, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to I'm just going to write my own discharge papers. <laughs> and that's what he did. Wow. Oh, that is- he forged his own honorable discharge papers and just decided I'm heading home. All, all set. Bye. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So one article at uh, at the time uh, described Mr. Revis as, quote, a tall, rangy Missourian with a mutton chops beard. Ooh. Cat, cat loves the mutton chops. I had immediately thought of JG because of your mutton chops. They're coming back, by the way. You're single handedly leading America back to the era of mutton chops. And cod pieces. It's going to be like gangs of New York all over again. (laughs) So after the Civil War is over, Mr. Rivas finds work in a real estate office in St. Louis. And he's already got his skills in forgery upon him, working for him. And he manages to pull some pretty dubious 
land deals and he's he's getting better and better at at forgery (laughs) and thinks yeah i'm ready i'm ready for the big time now he would later say that this peralta land grant scheme didn't come to him all at once it was the result of several small plans that eventually fell into place so rivas invents a family lineage that never existed (laughs) but he comes up with the name Don Nemesio Silva de Peralta de la Cordoba. Wow. Lots of de las. Right? So this is just a fictional family, but he says, he he forges paperwork uh, that says that King Ferdinand of Spain in 1748 granted this huge chunk of land in what we would now call the state of Arizona to this uh, family. (laughs) the Peralta family. So <laughs> Rivas <laughs> forges this paperwork and it, it now possesses this this grant and claims that he got this paperwork from a guy named George Willing, who was a developer, a mine developer, and that that mining developer, George Willing, had purchased the land from Miguel Peralta. Now, of course, the Peralta never existed. This land doesn't belong to Peralta because Peralta is not right. real. And and George Willing has has said, yeah, you know, uh, you, you can you can have this land. Here's the here's the the paperwork. So George Willis is real. George Willing is actually Willing. Uh, is actually okay. real. Yeah, but ironically, after he records the deed, he dies the next day, oh. and they never they never figured out why. I wonder, huh. I wonder who this could be. So anyway, the, this land that Rivas claimed as as his own now because he's he's got this deed was nearly twelve million acres. Wow! Think about wow. that. Wow! It runs through the heart of Arizona all the way to the New Mexico border. And it included, and this is where the money comes in, it included mining properties and railroad tracks. So in other words, mines had already been set Mm. up on this property. The railways are already running track across this land. So Rivas now goes to these companies like the Southern Pacific Railroad and these mines and and he's you know he's a con man he's he's a natural born salesman he's a wheeler dealer he's got the gift of gab so he convinces these companies that the land grant that he has is legitimate and he says now you know i'm not going to kick you off but hey you're running your your railroad tracks across <laughs> my land That'll be fifty thousand dollars, and and the companies say, well, okay, here's here's fifty thousand dollars, and then he'd go to a mining company and say, hey, your mine's on my land, give me twenty five thousand dollars, and I'll let you keep it. So they would write him checks. So he just starts <laughs> making money hand over fist. That's a nice choo choo train you got there. Be a shame, be a shame <laughs> if you couldn't run it. <laughs> but he comes up with. He, he realizes, you know, I need uh, uh, to strengthen this connection to the Peralta family. Keeping in mind, of course, this family never existed. He just made them up. But he somehow, Rivas, finds this 16-year-old 
uh, girl from uh, who has been born in Mexico and she's an orphan. Now, he convinces her that she is a descendant of the Peralta family. And of course, she doesn't know any better, but they move to California. They actually end up getting married. Wow. He sends her to a school uh. so that she can appear to be, you know, educated and and as though she is she's from money. But to a master forger, of course, it was simple for him to create church records that said, yes, this young girl is the last surviving member of the Peralta family. Wow. Wow. He travels with her to Mexico City, Guadalajara, and he spends hours going through museums and archives and he experiments with various inks and paper and he learns how to match these ancient documents. He even buys some old portraits in a Spanish flea market and designates them as various members of the Peralta lineage. He says, look, this is, this is my wife's wow. ancestors. Wow. Even though he just got them in a flea market and people are, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that looks like a Peralta. Yeah. So as I said, he, you know, he never planned to evict people from this land. He, all he wanted to do was extort fees for, for rent, for claims. So as I said, railroad gave him 50 grand. The Silver King mine gained him 25 grand. And ultimately, these, these owners of these mines and these railroads just decided, you know what? It's easier to cut the guy a check mm. because what if he goes to court and we end up losing the, the land that we're on? Just cut him a check, make him go away. Uh, but it was it was the small landowners who who rep really took umbrage at this and ultimately cost his undoing. He would go to these people, these small ranchers and say, uh, you owe me one hundred dollars or I'm going to kick you off your ranch. And they would pay it. They would just pay the ransom because like the mines and, and the railroad workers, they think it's easy just to easier to cut this guy a check and and make him uh, go away. But it was the federal government now that gets interested um, because he says that, you know, what the feds claim is their land is actually his. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So there were actually two very famous lawyers, a guy named Robert Ingers Ingersoll and a guy named Roscoe Conkling. Of course his name is and Roscoe. They, Roscoe Conkling. So they say, yeah, we looked at these documents and they're legit. <laughs> and he continues to Revis continues to to bilk people of money. And they're now getting so much money that they're they decide they're going to travel to Europe. And he's he says, I am the baron of of the Arizona territory. And this is my wife, uh -huh. Queen Sophia. Right. And he's actually welcomed by Spanish royalty oh, because they love the fact that this guy is sort of tweaking the nose of the U.S. government. <laughs> so at this point now, he is swimming in cash. He's got homes in Arizona, St. Louis, Missouri, Washington, D.C., mm. Madrid. Chihuahua City in northwestern Mexico. He's got cattle with ranches, uh, you know, and and even the, the cattle are branded with PR, Peralta, Rivas. Wow. Everything's going well. But what he doesn't realize is that 
people are starting to look at this and go, yeah, something's not adding up here. <laughs> so there's an investigator, a guy named Royal Johnson. Isn't that cool? Royal Johnson. Great name. My goodness. It sounds like a porn name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sir, that is one Royal Johnson. Well, thank you for noticing, yes. my good man. <laughs> <laughs> So in 1889, this guy, Royal Johnson, this investigator, <laughs> your highness, <laughs> releases, <laughs> releases paperwork saying these are forgeries and there are historical inaccuracies. For example, the calligraphy used in some of these documents was too modern of a design. It wouldn't have been something that you would have seen on parchment in the mid-1700s. Uh. And, and a lot of these documents that Rivas was touting as real, this guy Royal Johnson points out, well, these were written with steel nibs from a fountain pen, and those didn't exist in the 1700s. Wow. <laughs> So now Rivas is starting to feel the heat, and rather than admitting the forgeries, and this is to me what, is, what reminded me so much of what politicians do to this day, he actually doubles down. Mm. And, and, and he develops this, well, I'll show you attitude. And he says, you know what? You, the federal government, you owe me $11 million wow. for using my land. How dare you insinuate that I, the Baron of Arizona, <laughs> don't have rights to these millions of acres of land? Now, here's the, the, the shallow end irony here is that if he had just been more patient, the government might have said, all right, here's a check go away, just like the, the railroad companies, the mines did. But now the feds were like, all right, this this is this is not this is not cool. So now the federal government hires more experts to look closely at these forgeries. And all of a sudden, the evidence is overwhelming. And people realize there are spelling errors. <laughs> there are grammar issues. Ooh. He's using phrases and terms that weren't even around in the 1700s. And he ends up losing this, this case oh. and everything falls around him. The moment he leaves the courthouse, U.S. Marshals place him under arrest and charge him with fraud. Ooh. And all these high-placed uh Friends, politicians suddenly just disappear. Uh -huh. So yeah. weird. Huh. Weird. I don't know the guy. Do you know the guy? I don't know him. No, never heard of him. Never, not a friend of mine. Come on. So in 1895, Rivas actually goes to trial. He's found guilty and sentenced to two years in a penitentiary. And it surprises me that he only got two yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah, threatening the government. <laughs> Find $5,000 and proving once again that Americans love a con man who operates on a grand scale. James Rivas, the Baron of Arizona. Did he get to keep the properties? <laughs> I don't think I so. I don't believe so. Okay. I don't believe so. Well, that's too bad. Because two years and $5,000, that seems like a fair trade. That's a, that's a slap on the wrist for... For what he actually no pulled kidding. Off. So thanks to our listener named Nicholas, also True West Magazine, and as you guys like to say, of course, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Fascinating yeah. story. Love. Wow. So a reminder to listeners: if anybody says to you, "I'm the Baron of Arizona," <laughs> somebody already tried that and it didn't work out well. So, <laughs> so don't 
don't buy into it. I might change my name to Royal Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty good. I'm thinking about Roscoe Conkle myself. Roscoe and Royal. <laughs> the shallow end with Roscoe and Royal doesn't quite trip off Disagree. the tongue. Disagree. I love it. You know what? Maybe next April Fool's Day, we'll just slip that in and see how many people notice. Sounds great idea. We love hearing from you guys. Please uh, continue to send in your shallow end moments, whether they uh, involve you or a, quote, friend. It doesn't matter. Or any state of the union. Oh, yeah. any, anywhere. <laughs> anywhere, anyone, anytime. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We love hearing from you. Love your stories. You can uh, record your story yourself and send it to us. And uh, perhaps it'll make it on the show. And don't worry about the audio quality. Uh, based on our last episode, it shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> if you loved the sound of backing up vehicle beeps and microphone echo boy episode 50 was your cup that's of tea. right um, in fact we are thinking of starting a new podcast called backing up beeps and uh microphone echo brought to you by royal johnson and roscoe conklin <laughs> on most of these cbs stations all right <laughs> anyway we'll see you next time you guys do make good choices your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, you gotta go. Okay, you gotta go.